You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Revenge. Hello my radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today for another program in the series Give Me the Bible. This is program number 92 and it's about revenge or to use another words, vengeance and of course what the Bible says about it. First, I want to tell you a true and, um, and an amusing story about revenge. Imagine what would happen if your bank decided to foreclose on you. This has happened to many farmers who could not pay their debts to the bank, especially in times of drought. The banks seized their property. Today's story concerns the Nyajisi family who lived in the United States of America. They owned their home and it was fully paid off. At one stage they began receiving notices from their bank, the Bank of America, that they were behind in their payments. At first they took no notice of the notices thinking the bank had made a silly mistake. But the notices continued and became more forceful and more urgent. Finally, the bank issued a notice of foreclosure, meaning that the bank intended to seize their home. At this stage, the distressed family contacted a lawyer and the matter went to court. At the ensuing court case, the court firmly decided in the family's favour. After all, the Nyajisi family owned their home and they had no case to answer. The fault lay squarely and fairly with the bank. It had made a mistake. The Bank of America was ordered to pay all the expenses involved in the court case. The expenses amounted to $2,534, but the bank refused to pay. So it became a matter, instead of between a corporation and some citizens, but it was a matter between a corporation and the court. And then, one day, to everyone's surprise, some bailiffs turned up at the bank and ordered the manager and all the staff to vacate the premises, as the court had foreclosed on the bank for failing to pay its debt to the Nyajisi family. Bailiffs came in and began removing anything of value including the money in the teller's drawers. It took a very short time 
for the bank manager to give the Nyajisi family a cheque for the $2,534. Otherwise, he would have looked very sheepish in front of his general manager if he had to explain how he had lost his branch of the Bank of America. The Nyajisi family had their revenge. I wonder if they changed banks after that. But there's another aspect of revenge, that is, of vengeance. Generally what happens when someone does or says something offensive to another person, the offended person usually plots and plans to get back at the offender. Then those plans are executed. But it is usually not just a case of getting even. The offended person often adds a bit of extra insult to the injury. And then, as a consequence of that, the original offender plans to get back at the other person and ups the punishment a bit more. And so it goes, becoming worse and worse, with no one prepared to stop hurting the other party. Of course, vengeance doesn't stop only with individuals. It often involves groups, tribes and even countries. Just think of the awful payback customs in Papua New Guinea and of what happened in the past in Ireland, and of the family feuds in Scotland, and so on and so on. You know, vengeance has been a successful subject for movie makers. The legal system often has to deal with murders and other crimes where the motivation for those crimes was pure vengeance, man against man, people committing horrible deeds against each other. Vengeance is certainly not something God approves of. In Proverbs chapter 20 and repeated in Romans 12, God says, Vengeance is mine. That means it's not up to me or to you to get even with somebody who's done something nasty to us. God says that he will be the one to sort it all out. Leave it to him. So, what can you do when someone does something nasty to you? Well, you can do one of three things. Firstly, you can do nothing. Doing nothing makes you the victim of the situation. Most likely, you will be unhappy, you will feel devalued, and will be filled with bad feelings, and you will probably, most probably, suffer emotionally and psychologically. Doing nothing is not the real answer. Secondly, you can retaliate, to hit back. 
you could say to yourself, he or she did this to me, I'm going to do the same to them, so they'll know what it feels like. And probably you'll attempt to add some interest as well and do worse to them than they did to you. The most likely outcome from handling the situation this way is that the problem will escalate and the offender will then retaliate even harder against you and you will become involved in a continuing conflict. Retaliation is not the answer. It brings no lasting satisfaction and the other person remains an enemy. And of course, you are still a victim because the conflict remains and that will affect you adversely. Thirdly, you can resolve the situation God's way. Here, there's a high probability of resolution and where you become the master, not the victim of the situation. And also that you may gain a friend instead of having an enemy. And most of all, there will be nothing to regret. There is great wisdom in this procedure because there is great wisdom in the Bible. And that's understandable because the Bible has been given to us by God. To start with, let's look at what Jesus said. It's found in Matthew 5:14, verses 43 and 44. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, what a radical statement. Surely this must be very difficult. Yes, it may be difficult, but it works. By the very act of thinking positive thoughts about your enemy changes you. Instead of being the victim of the situation, you become the master. The Apostle Paul has written quite a deal about revenge. It's mainly found in the book of Romans, chapter 12, and from verse 14. The Bible says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, here comes the real crunch. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Then there's this quote from the book of Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, 
give him something to drink. By doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that's rather unusual, but we'll have a little break here, and I'll explain that straight afterwards. Who did you say it was, brother? Who was it fell by the way? When whiskey and blood run together Did you hear anyone pray? When I heard the crash on the highway I knew what it was from the start I went to the scene of destruction And the picture was stamped on my heart I didn't hear nobody pray, dear brother I didn't hear nobody pray I heard the crash on the highway But I didn't hear nobody pray There was whiskey and blood all together with glass where they lay Death played a hand in destruction But I didn't hear nobody pray I wish I could change this sad story That I am now telling you But there's no way I can change it For somebody's life is now through I guess you'd find that a rather interesting song but it probably has something to do with today's talk just before the break I mentioned to you a text from the book of Proverbs which says if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink by doing this you will heap burning coals on his head <laughs> but you might wonder I understand the doing good to my enemy part, but heaping burning coals on someone's head does not seem like loving them. Right, but wrong. You see, there was an old custom widely practiced in Egypt and obviously carried on by the Hebrews that when someone was pronounced guilty of an offence, 
they were required to acknowledge their guilt by carrying a basin of burning coals on their head in public. But you know, there's another way of looking at this too. Sometimes during the night a person's fire would have gone out and he needed to borrow some live coals to restart his fire. Giving a person coals in a pan to carry home on his head was a neighbourly kind act. It made friends and not enemies. Proverbs 25 verse 22 instructs us to give our enemy so many burning coals that they have to carry them the way burdens are carried in the Middle East in a container on the head. Then they, they, they could go back home and immediately bake their bread without having to wait for the wood to become suitable for with coals for cooking. When you have been persecuted or offended by an enemy and you do nothing but good to that person, it becomes obvious that, the, that only they and not you acted offensively. By doing good to them is like providing a basin of burning coals on their head. Overcome evil with good. How clever that is. How wise is the advice given in the Bible. But you know, there's even more. By doing and thinking well of another person, there is a good possibility of them becoming a friend rather than an enemy. I've personally experienced this, and I know it works. The Roman philosopher Epictetus said, It is not what happens to you that matters. It is how you react to the event or events that counts. For example, one of my golfing friends, more often than he likes, makes a bad shot. When that happens, he utters cuss words, that is, swear words, words that are offensive and which I personally avoid. He becomes angry with himself. On the other hand, if he was able to keep his emotions under control, he might think to himself something like this, well, that was a poor shot. I hope not to make that mistake again and go on without allowing himself to be upset. If he did this, I think he would be much better off. The same goes with driving. Inevitably, someone will do something which could lead to an accident unless you had reacted appropriately to avoid a collision. Instead of becoming infuriated by this silly mistake, I tell myself that the other driver may have been feeling sick, that their attention might have been diverted, or that they may have been in a desperate hurry. That way I avoid becoming upset and wanting to get even with them.
Epictetus was right, and the Bible is right. The wisdom of the Bible has far-reaching effects. In a previous program, I told you the story of a murderer, a hitman, who killed at least 18 people. His name was Harry Orchard. In 1905, he murdered Frank Stunenberg, the governor of the American state of Idaho. He rigged up a bomb which detonated when the governor opened the front gate leading to his home. Stunenberg died instantly, and Orchard was convicted of murder and was sentenced to imprisonment for life. What effect did this murder have on Stunenberg's wife, do you think? She could have become very bitter and wanted to see Orchard die for his crime. But no. Instead, she prayed for Orchard and then she visited him in prison and prayed with him there. She gave him a Bible to read and little by little Harry's heart began to soften and he recognised the terrible thing he had done to those he had murdered and to their families. Mrs. Stunenberg had heaped coals of fire on Harry's head and before too long Harry Orchard the murderer changed and became Harry Orchard, the Christian. Mrs. Stunenberg had followed the Bible's advice and prayed for and did good to her enemy. The changed Harry Orchard was a beautiful man. He helped the other prisoners through many of their problems and led them to Christ. The prison authorities trusted him to the degree that he was allowed to live in a small house outside the prison. Harry was offered a pardon, although he refused it. He felt that he had done wrong, and he must serve out his sentence. Now, all this came about because Mrs. Stunenberg was a practising Christian, and she did what the Bible said she should do. What a lesson for humanity. If everyone put into practice what the Bible says, this world would be wonderful. There would be no crime, and of course there would be no revenge. Those who claim that the Bible is an outdated book have much to learn. The Bible is as relevant to modern society as it was to people in times past. Dear listeners, you will have already or you will have to deal with people doing or saying unpleasant things to you. Instead of getting upset or angry, Follow the Bible's counsel to pray for and do good to these people. By so doing, 
you become the master, not the victim of the situation. Surprise your enemy with good instead of bad. He or she will become so surprised they'll hardly know what to do. Surprise psychology. It works, and it's from the Bible, that wonderful and wise book. I strongly recommend that you read your Bible. If you don't have one and would like to have one, contact the program and we will get one to you free of charge. We must stop for today. I hope you will join me next week as we consider what the Bible has to say about another subject. Until then, I wish you well. And may God guide you in all that you do.